Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul Wingfield. I'm a student pastor here. And uh, man, I get to, uh, to do this a few times a year. I'm, I'm thankful for Joel that he gives me these opportunities. And so I always, always try to, uh, to, to make the best of it and so that he'll invite me to do it again next time. Uh, and, and two, I made sure to wear a dark shirt so I don't sweat through this today. So if you see anything, just wave at me and be like, hey, you need to, you need to wipe your head off. You're sweating a little bit. Um, I don't... Uh, I don't typically teach to a lot of people. I teach to about 20 to 25 students. And so my typical style, the way that I do things, is very interactive. And so if you hear me as I'm teaching today, as I'm talking, and, I'm, and I ask a question, don't consider it to be rhetorical. Feel free to yell something out if you want to, okay? I'm not going to be offended at that, and I will appreciate it. And any nods and amens, those help too. So um, as I, I was supposed to preach, actually, on May the 2nd is when I was originally going to, uh, to be, be able to come up here and do this, but no thanks to Nathan Ellis not being able to, to do it this weekend. It got bumped up a little bit, so I was like, okay, okay, I gotta start, I gotta start praying. Lord, what, what do you want me, to, what do you want me to, to teach about? What is it that, uh, that our congregation, that our body, whether here, whether they're online, what, 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 do we, what do we need to tell them? What do you want to tell them? Uh, and almost immediately, I, I felt like I had a pretty solid answer. Um, and as we're, as, just even in worship this morning, as we were singing these songs and how perfectly I think that it tied in together to what God does want me to talk about today. And this, this idea that who can stop the Lord, our God Almighty, right? That means that he is faithful, he is true. We, are, we, are, we can stand firm on this promise that he who has started a good work in us is going to see it through to the end, to completion, and the, and the question, and, and what I want to look at today is, well, where does that work start? How does that work start? And, uh, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be in Matthew 13. Uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. And uh, some of you may have heard this parable before. Um, some of you may have not. But uh, I think it's a, it's a really good example of, of looking at this, this work that God starts in us. And how does that happen? And how do we... And what do we do because of this work that he has started in us? Uh, if you guys know anything about me at all, you know that I love adventure. You know that I love wilderness. I love mountains. I love rivers. I love, I love being outside. Right? I, love, I love to be in God's creation, not just because of the adventure that I can find there and the cool things that exist there, but for how it just screams of God's goodness and it screams of his character and his eternal power. We even see in Romans 1, that he says that he, uh, he reveals him, himself to us, namely his divine nature and eternal power through that which has been made so that we wouldn't have any excuse, right? The, the cl- his classroom is his creation and it's to po- meant to point to the creator. And that's one thing that I just, I love about it so much. And so the parable that I'm talking about today talks a lot about creation, talks a lot about, talks about seeds and dirt and growth and all this cool stuff and how that reflects our life in Christ. 
And so my prayer today is that, that God is just going to open our hearts to receive his word uh, and that it might take root, that it might begin to, to change the way we live our lives, to change the way we speak, to change the way we think, that it might, uh, it might reflect him. And so uh, we're primarily going to be looking at Matthew's account of this parable, but it's found in three out of the four Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and so primarily we're looking at Matthew's uh, account of this, but we might use some of the others just for uh, some additional perspectives. And so there's two main thoughts out of this, this parable that I want to I get across today and that I want us to, to think through. Uh, the first is understanding the, the different types of soil that we're going to see here. They're, they represent four types of people, four types of the condition of our heart. Okay? And we're going to look at each, dive a little bit deeper into them and... Uh, and, and see what the Lord would speak to us out of that. The second part is, okay, if we hear and understand God's word, we have to ask the question, so what? What, is, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? And you know, what does hearing and understanding mean for our lives, and what are the implications of that? And so let's dive in. Let's get started. And uh, if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 13. If you don't have your Bible, there's some in the seat back pockets. That's a that's hard to say, seat back pockets, there we go, in front of you, uh, or it's going to be on the screen here too, or you have them on your phone. There's all kinds of ways to get uh, scripture, but Matthew 13, we're going to look at chapter, uh, or sorry, verses 1 through 23, and I'll just start out reading it here, follow along. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got in a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, even, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they, can, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God, or hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown 
on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. We see a few different things here that we need to to dive in and, and kind of understand. We see Jesus telling this parable to the crowd, and then the disciples are like, hey, like, why do you do that? Why, why are you talking to them in these parables? And so he explains the parables to his disciples. And I want to lead out with what he tells the disciples first. Okay, He explains to them why he tells the crowd these kingdom truths in kind of this, this mysterious manner. Right? He's like, why couldn't you just make it easy to understand? Right? That, that's what I always think when I think of this. But in verse 11, he says, to you, speaking to the, the disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And that, that sounds kind of harsh at first, but my hope is that by the end of our time together today that you're going to be encouraged and that you're going to be challenged with why that part is important. To you, you've been given the, the kingdom secrets for you to understand if you are in Christ. And so with that being said, I want to look at the seed and the soils. And uh, again, you, you know that I, I love wilderness. I love adventure. And I love that Jesus here is, is stepping into his classroom to use it to teach. It should come as no surprise that he would do that, right? He's, he's, he's using all of which he has created to point to himself. And so I, I love doing that. One thing I love doing is, is doing backpacking trips uh, with students, with anybody, really, because I love how God speaks to us there. I, most of the time, wilderness is where I like to do adventure the most. I, I decided last year in January that I was going to, you know, I'm going to go to the skate park and start being adventurous there. And I broke my face, and I have teeth this time when I'm preaching, so it's great. Um, but that's a whole other story for a whole other time. So if I ever say, hey, I want to be adventurous and go to the skate park, don't let me go, okay? Because it was a bad day. It was a bad day. But I love how in, this, in his classroom, he's, he's teaching about himself. Right? And there's some comparisons here that I think we need to, to kind of understand before we, we move on. We see that the seed sown is the word of God. Here, it's called the word of the kingdom. And, and the word is, is from God's kingdom, spoken from the king himself. And that, that gives it this authority. It gives it, uh, it, it, gives it this, this power that what we could speak about, it wouldn't have, right? So coming from the king, it has authority. It is the law by which we must live, by which we must be governed, and by which we must be ruled, okay? The word itself, being the seed sown, seems like a, a dead, dry thing, right? When we think about seeds, does anybody garden in here? Does anybody ever do any gardening? I see a few hands shoot up. I hope that you're better at it than I am because I'm pretty awful. My wife's good, but I'm, I'm not good at growing things. Obviously, I don't have hair, so... Um, and, but it looks like this dead and dry thing, and you think, how in the world could this ever produce anything? But all of the product is virtually contained inside of this little bitty tiny seed that's going to produce, could produce an oak tree, could produce a small little tomato plant, right? What it produces is different. They're all equally glorifying to God and equally um, used in their right way, but they produce different things, and we're going to look at that here a little bit too, but the sower, right? We have the seed. Who's sowing the seed? It's Jesus. It's either by himself or through his people. That's who is sowing this word. They're sowing the seed on the ground. And the ground in which the seed falls upon is the hearts of man. Okay, so now that we have this understanding of what 
these things represent, let's look at these, these four different soils that we have here. The first fell among the path. And we see it fall among this path. And, and I don't know what this path looked like. I don't know what, uh, if, it was if it was like a stone path. I don't know if it was just a dirt path. When I think of a path, I think of a trail. I think of going and, and hiking in the mountains, and I think of a trail. And when I, when I look at a trail, what, what does a trail look like? There's, it's not clear and grassy and luscious things growing everywhere in it. It's brown. It's ugly, it's dirty, there's nothing that grows there. Why? Because it's been heavily traveled upon, right? We don't often venture off of the trail when we're in the mountains, when we're hiking. We want to stay on the trail. One, because we could get lost. Uh, we don't want to get lost, that's not fun. Uh, two is, man, this has already been established. This leads us to where we want to go. But it's not a conducive place for growing things. Why? Because it's been hardened by the frequent travel. It has been um, walked upon. And if we try to take seeds, no matter how hard we, if we have, um, if we have a, a MLB pitcher come up and just try to throw it as hard as he can on this ground, it's just gonna bounce off. It doesn't matter how good the intention we have of wanting things to grow here, it's not gonna grow because it is not conducive for it. And so when we, when we look at this and Jesus tells us, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And this is the same thing that, that happens to us. Because naturally, the way that we come into this world, our hearts are hardened. Romans tells us that there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who is good. Not one person. We all have the natural desires to, to, to feed our own selves, right? To be selfish, not selfless. We, we want the wicked things of this world and it takes a supernatural event for that to change and for our hearts to become this place that receives the word, that can take root in our hearts. And, and the evil one, right, comes away and snatches away what has been sown. It's not been nurtured. It's not been cared for. It's not been prepared. And it, it requires this supernatural event for that to change. It's one thing to hear, but if we don't understand, then what good is that ever going to do us? Right? We can hear all day long. I can sit here and I can tell you all day long about the word. But if you, if you just hear it, I think about my kids. They hear a lot about what I say, but they don't understand anything. Right? I'm like, hey, can you do this? And they're just like, huh, what did you say? Like It goes in one, in one ear and out the other. But if we, if we don't sit and listen to what God's trying to teach us through his word... It's just going gonna, gonna to do the same. It's never going to impact our life. It's never going to change the way that we live. It's never going to give us the abundant life that Christ came and said that he, he, he came and died to give us, right? That we might have life and have it abundantly. If we just hear, we're just, oh, it's great. It's just words. If we don't allow it to take root, it can never change our lives. And so I want to, and I want to think too, even, man, our neighbors and our, the people that we work with. And who is it that, that you know that maybe doesn't know the Lord? That is the state of their heart. That is the state of their heart. So keep, keep these things in mind as we're, as we're continuing on. And the second soil that we see is among the rocky ground. And this, this seed, this shows some promise, right? This seed starts off and it says that it immediately springs up with joy. 
man, it, it, that's, a, that's a great picture. It comes, it bursts forth through the ground, right? It's, it's super pumped up. It hears the word and sees it. Yeah, this is awesome. But because this person has no root, it says when tribulation comes along, uh, it says right here, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is, this is troubling to me. This is troubling because we see this, this person, they receive this news with joy. That means they actually believe it's good news, right? They receive it. Yes, the gospel, it's good news. I want this. But because they didn't really allow it to take root, when trial, when tribulation comes, when, not if, but when, trial or tribulation comes on account of this word, he falls away. He's withered. He falls away because he has no root. That is a, 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 a scary picture to me. It means that they, right, they believe this is good news, and I think of so many times, and, and how many times are, is this us, right? How many times do we even see this? People receive it. Maybe we tell our friends, Man, they're like, yeah, man, we, we know somebody who has accepted the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And immediately they're like joyful, they're showing up, they're coming to church with it, they're reading their Bibles. And, and then all of a sudden, a couple weeks later, it's like, where did they go? I've not seen them in a while. Like, what, what happened? And then you go, you talk with them, and they're, they, they're right back and living the same lifestyle that they were. It didn't take root. It did not change things. It didn't allow it to take root so that it would truly bring forth this fruit and change their lives. And, and I found a video I want to show you. Uh, it's about a minute long, but I think it, 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 it illustrates this, this, the picture of this perfectly. So if you guys would, just play this video real quick. Is that, is that not an awesome thing? Like, I just love even watching that and just showing how God has even created his creation to reveal these truths about his kingdom. It took, like, it was like nine days before anything, that seed sprouted through the surface. But initially, what did it do? It did some deep diving root work. It had to send its roots down to find good water source, right? Plants can't survive without water and good nutrient-rich soil. It was pushing its roots down deep, shooting its roots out to the side to help bring some stability, right? So that when trials and tribulation come on account of the word, that it's going to remain solid. It's going to remain firm. And that's no different than our life 
in Christ, if we don't allow his word to take root in our hearts, man, we're, we're just going to fall away. But if we do allow his word to take root, we know that we're going to produce fruit inevitably someday because of that. We will be healthy. We won't fall away when the trial comes. We won't be scorched when the sun comes up because we have strong roots. That's the important part of understanding what we hear. And this parable, again, it, it, they hear the word and receive it with joy, but they didn't understand it, right? That's, if, we, if we come here, and no matter how much we teach week after week after week, if you're not allowing this to take root in your heart and to try to understand it, fruit cannot come from that. These, these kingdom truths um, that we have, they can never impact our lives and cause us to be fruitful if we don't allow it to take root. I, I even think about uh, in Galatians 5, um, I didn't, this is not up there for you, but Galatians 5, 7 says that, it says, you were running the race well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? As Paul is talking to one of his disciples, and, and it's this idea of, man, you were running this race well. You started out strong, but what hindered you? What stopped you? We're going to see a little bit of that in the next soil. But when there is hearing, but there is no obedience to what we have heard, fruit is impossible. Because at a root level, there has been a disconnect from that which provides life. Right? There has been this disconnect that, that if we are disconnected from Christ, we can do nothing. And there's no dependence on him for life. Only he can produce this in us. And I was reading a, a commentary uh, about this. Uh, Matthew Henry, some famous theologian guy, uh, write, he wrote something very interesting, and I, I want to share this with you. He said, Observe, persecution is represented in the parable by the scorching sun. The same sun which warms and cherishes that which was well-rooted withers and burns up that which wanted root. As the word of Christ, so the cross of Christ is to some a savor of life unto life, to others a savor of death unto death. The same tribulation which drives some to apostasy and ruin works for others a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Trials which shake some confirm others. So how, how do we allow that to take root? How do we allow the, the, the word of God as it falls upon the rocky soil of our hearts? How do we allow it to take root? And I think John 12, 24 gives us the perfect example of this. And we just saw a good picture of it in this video. John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We... <laughs> We, we live in a, in a culture, in a society that is all about us. It teaches us, to do, do whatever you want. Follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy. But if we don't die to ourself and give everything that we have to Christ, we can't produce fruit. Quite naturally, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm a selfish person, and I want to hold on to things that preserve my, my own self. Right? I don't want to lay my life down for my wife like Scripture calls me to. That's hard. But if I don't, no fruit can come in my marriage. 
And in the same way that Jesus laid his life down for us, we have to lay our lives down for others. The, the third soil is, is very similar, I think, to the second soil. And we see here that the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prevent it from being fruitful. And, and I think the first thing we under, need to understand is that the thorns that are choking the word, they're, they're described as the cares of the world. Do you, do you remember when uh, in the garden, it was, the garden was perfect. Thorns did not exist until the fall of man, until sin entered the world. So when sin entered the world, so did, so did thorns. The land became cursed because of the fall of man, because of the sin of Adam. And I think that that's, uh, man, I think that's a, a, a beautiful picture. It may, it may not be a beautiful picture, but I think it's a good description of how these thorns and how they, they go along. And they are our sin. They are our, our concerns uh, and our, our earthly desires. And I think of uh, when, when we look at these cares that are compared to these thorns, you know, what are they? They're entangling. They're scratching, right? They're painful. Have you, and have you ever just seen like one thorn plant? Is there only just one thorn plant or are there a hundred of them together? Like you'll be walking along in the woods and then all of a sudden you're, you, you end up in it and you're just like, oh man, like how did I get in here? And then it's all in your clothes and your skin and you're having to like pick it out and trying to get back out. It becomes really difficult to, uh, to recede out of thorn bush, right? Like you're having, you, have, you need people there that can help you and hold things for you. And it's funny, I think when I take my kids hiking and there's, there's places along the trail that, that may not be so well uh, traveled, thorns grow up over the trail. And I think about, you know, I'll, I'll step through them or whatever. My kids are like, they get so concerned. They're like, I can't walk through there. They're like, it's, what if it scratches me? I'm like, yeah, what if it scratches you? But I'm going to hold it to the side for you. Don't worry about it. Just let me, let me hold it. Don't get so concerned about the, the, the pain that's going to come, but let me help you through these thorns. Because I can do that. And isn't that a good picture of, of what community should look like? Isn't that a good picture that, man, when we do find ourselves among the thorns, to know that somebody can step in and say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to get my hands pricked to remove some of that from you. I'm willing to enter through some pain to help a brother or a sister out. And as we, we need, we need community. We need people to step in and, and help us with these cares, these thorns that, that en ensnare us. And the second thing about thorns is, by their nature, they're just invasive, right? They multiply like crazy. They multiply far faster than just normal plants do. And isn't that just like sin? Isn't that just like sin when we're sitting there and we think that we're good, right? We think that everything is good, and we, we start seeing a little thorn come in. It's like, oh, that's, that's a little thorn bush. It's, it's not going to bother me. We don't pay any attention to it. We just leave it there because it's not bothering us yet. But then the next thing you know, you come back and it's just like there's a hundred of them. You're like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? When we, give, when we give a thorn an inch, what does it do? It takes a mile. And it's no different with sin. When, when, we, when we see sin and we're like, oh, you know what? I'm not tempted yet. I'm okay. I'm like, this is fine. It's not going to overtake me. All of a sudden, what happens? You are right in the middle of it, entangled and trapped. And, and this, this seed that is, is fell among the thorns, uh, it's our sins, right? Paul even talks about, he says, I've been given a thorn in my flesh, 
right? He said he calls it a messenger of Satan to torment him, right? These, these thorns are a hindrance to us. They are a hindrance to our profiting by the word of God. The second thing, after the cares of the world, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches, that's a big one, right? We live in a society that glorifies and, and idolizes wealth, right? I think about my kids even. that when They watch uh, these kids' YouTube shows, and it's all about these families that live out in all these big cities, and they, just op- they watch other kids open toys all the time, which I don't understand that. But they, they sit here, and they have all these great big backyards, and they have Ferraris and all these nice cars. And my kids, to this point now, my, my four-year-old daughter, she was like, I want a Ferrari. And I'm just like... Okay, like, that's cool. Ferraris would be cool, sure. But don't let that be what becomes our idol. Don't, don't think that those things are going to make you happy. And I think the deceitfulness of wealth is just that, as we pursue these earthly things that we think are going to make us happy. We pursue these things. Oh, man, if I just had a newer car, man, then I'd be happy. If I just had a bigger house, then I would be happy. If I just had a bigger salary, then I would be happy. But what happens when you get a newer car and you get a bigger house and you get a bigger salary? Are you ever content or do you always want more? I know for me that I always, I get to this place and I'm like, oh, well, well now that car's old. Now I'd like a newer car. Like, how, how do we combat against these things? This is the, the enemy that he brings these, de- these deceits and these lies and he chokes out what might be fruitful. These things aren't bad. Wealth is not bad. But when we idolize them, they become our God. And and I'm even reminded of the the story of the rich young ruler that we see in a couple more chapters further in Matthew. And he comes to to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus begins rattling off the, the Ten Commandments. And he says, I've done all those things. I've kept all those things since I was a boy. What do I still lack? And Jesus says, well, if you would be perfect... Go sell everything that you possess, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And what happens? It says that the young man went away very sorrowful because he had great wealth. He had great possessions. And we hold so tightly to our possessions, so much more than we do to the word of God sometimes. And because of that, those possessions end up rising, rising among us and they choke us out causing us to be an unfruitful. It's not necessarily the, the, uh, the riches themselves, but the deceitfulness of them. They cause us to want to hold on to things so tightly. And just like the seed without root that needed to die first, we must continue to lay our life down on a, on a moment-by-moment moment basis sometimes. Because that's where we're going to find it. Mark 8, 35-36 says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's not just a one-time and done thing, right? We have to continually choose to lay our life down every day. And we can't do that on our own. Again, it takes a supernatural work of God to accomplish that within us. And, and that, that brings us to the last soil, the first, the first three, there were some, some common things is they heard, but they didn't understand, right? They heard and they didn't understand. So this is the soil, the good ground, right? The one that we all want to be. 
And, and there's one thing that defines what good soil actually is, and that's fruitfulness. John 15 says that this is how you're going to be proven to be my disciples is, is right by the fruit that you bear. So how do we, how do, we do that? And I found a few interesting things about this soil that I'd, I'd never really seen before as I, as I read through this parable. And it's, it's that Jesus, he doesn't say this was perfect soil. He doesn't say this soil was perfect. It was thornless. It was rockless. He doesn't mention any of that. And I think when we see this, he doesn't say that there's no stones, no thorns among the ground, but that there was nothing that was preventing its fruitfulness. Because we can get pretty easily discouraged from the first three soils. You're like, oh man, I see myself in a little bit of all those. <laughs> yes, once you become a believer, that doesn't just mean that you have, you're perfect, there's no thorns among you, there's no rocks, there's no hardened parts of our hearts. That's not true. It's the beautiful part of sanctification is that God is continually chipping away at us until we meet him and then we become perfect. And this good soil, we, we are not free from sin, but we are freed from the rule of it in our lives because we live according to the spirit, not of the flesh. And that's a hard thing to wrap, to wrap your mind around. It's been hard for me to wrap my mind around to that at, at some times. But... We need a constant water source, right? How do plants work? They, they work by having constant water, constant nutrients. And when they don't have it, the roots push themselves down deep to try to find it. It doesn't just say, oh, we can't find it. We're giving up. A plant's naturally created to push its roots down deep to try to find that living water that's going to bring it life. And it's the same for us if we want to produce fruit. We have to constantly be attached to Jesus if we want to bear this long-lasting fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You don't hear about all the work that you have to do there. He just says, just abide. And that word means to remain. And I love, uh, in, in Spanish, it's permanecer, to be permanent. To be permanently attached to Jesus. That is what is, is called of us. How do we become permanently attached to Jesus? Man, it, it, it again goes back to a consistent and constant laying down of our lives for that. That he might be made greater, that we might be become less, right? How are we doing that? How are we laying our lives down for the sake of the gospel? Fruit is inevitable if we have healthy roots. Fruit is inevitable when we remain in Christ. So how do we remain in, in a life-giving exchange, in a life-giving relationship with Jesus? John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And the good soil here is represented by the people that heard and understood. You've got you to hear and understand. How do we understand? It's pretty clear right here. We understand by the Spirit. The Spirit is who gives us this understanding, who gives us this life. Are we, are we clinging to the Word of God like it does that? Are we opening this every single day like it's going to help us live? Or do we just ornamentally use it on our shelf, right? Put it on our coffee table when guests come over. What do we do? This book, our lives depend on it. Do we treat it as such? 
This is what sets apart the other soils from this one, is the fruit that is produced, right? That's why I think discipleship is so important. Not only is it just a command that we've been given, but it allows people to enter into our lives. Remember in the end, who was the sower? Jesus or his people. It allows people who have the Spirit to help us understand. They can walk with us who are less mature and teach us with the implication that we will do the same for somebody else. We have, to, we have a part to play in this. That's why God, uh, I think he tells us too, that um, we have this lifelong pursuit of trying to understand by this. And, and 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Because it is only through the spirit that we can understand these things. And the last thing I want to point out about the good soil is that all of the fruit wasn't alike. All of the fruit wasn't alike. Some produced 100, some produced 60-fold, some produced 30-fold. And, and among believers, some are more fruitful than others. But, and I think about, we think about like the Billy Grahams, right? The Francis Chans, the Andy Stanleys. We think about these, these famous celebrity pastors who, who have a, a great influence and who have a great ministry and, and there is fruit being produced there and we think, oh, I could, I could never be like them. You're not supposed to. God, if God has granted them the grace that they have that fruitful of a ministry, praise the Lord. If God doesn't grant you that, praise the Lord. You are meant to walk in a manner worthy to how God has called you, not other people. Let's, let's think about this. Let's think about um, what that means for us. It's not just the professional people that stand on a stage and teach to people that are supposed to be fruitful. It's all of us. All of us are supposed to produce fruit because that is what happens when we abide in Christ. Now, we, we know that, again, some people are more fruitful than others as far as having ministries, but not every single person is supposed to have some ministry. Not every person is supposed to be like these, um, like these very fruitful Christians, these very fruitful people. There are a few places for sure that we know where fruit is for us. If you are married, how many, how, many, how many people are married in here? How many people have spouses? We know for certain that you should have fruit in your marriage. That should actually be the first fruit that you have. Because in the structure of, of uh, the way that plants work, right, the first place that roots affect is the trunk. In the very center of our trunk, what holds up all of the fruit and the branches that we have is our marriage. I think about when you see, uh, when you see a, a dead tree in your backyard. Josh Burke is very familiar with these. But when we see a tree, do we, do we see dead trees? Does it look like they have places rotted out on the side first? Or does it rot from the inside out? It rots from the inside out and they have these hollow trees. They look like they're healthy, but the inside is hollowed out. It is dead, and it will fall in a matter of time. And the same thing is, as a husband, the first fruit of my walk with Christ should be in my marriage. And that's often the first place from an external perspective that we can tell either the healthiness or the unhealthiness of roots is in a marriage. Outside of that, if you have kids, 
we know for certain if you have kids that you should have fruit there. You have been given them to lead them in the ways of the Lord. Now, outside of that, if the Lord wants to bless you with some awesome ministry, great. That's a bonus. If he wants to give you just a few other people to disciple along this path outside of your family, great. That's a bonus. But all of that only comes from being attached and being permanent, permanently attached to Christ. I, I came across this, this quote the other day, thinking about having this, this fruit, right, in our marriages and in our families, and this idea that um, our, our kids, and I, I, our, our kids, we, we, we send them to school, right, to learn science, to, have, to get an education, right? To, we depend on a school system to do all of that educating for us. And in so many times, we've often done the same thing in the church. We depend on the church to disciple our kids. Uh, God has called up people to invest in certain, in children, to invest in, in, in youth. But my job should not have to exist. Children's ministers' jobs should not have to exist because as parents, we should be doing that. And even as I was preparing this message, I am preaching to myself of how much I have depended on that in the past. I read this quote by uh, this pastor named Paul Washer. He says, Your children will go to public school and they will be trained for somewhere around 15,000 hours in ungodly secular thought. And then they'll go to Sunday school and they'll color a picture of Noah's Ark. And you think that that is going to stand against the lies that they are being told. Now, I'm thankful for, for Ashley and her heart for discipleship among our young people. She does much more than coloring pictures of Noah's Ark here. And I'm thankful for her investment in that and how she lays down her life for her volunteers and for these children. But we have to, as, as parents, as husbands and wives, we have to take this responsibility seriously. If we want to be fruitful... We've got to start with our marriage. We've got to start with our kids. We don't need to worry about anything outside of that until that is healthy. And, and I don't want you to take this message today. I don't, want it to, I don't want you to sit there and think, oh my gosh, he just said a whole lot of discouraging things. I don't want you to think that at all. What I hope that today does is I hope that it's going to help us all take a hard look at our life and say, God, where are the hardened parts of my heart? Where are the rocky parts of my heart where I've not yet taken root or allowed your word to take root in me? Where are the, where are the concerns and the cares that I have in this world causing, to, causing me to not be fruitful? And God, where are the good parts that you can come in more and then prune and help me be even more fruitful? I hope that you will look at that. And if you feel God today teaching you, if you feel him correcting you, if you feel him calling to you, lean into that. Because that is where you are going to find life. And you are going to find it abundantly. Joel talked about on Easter that because Jesus lives, we have something we do. Right? And, and we know that by the Spirit we understand, but in what ways are people supposed to even hear? Scripture says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how are they to call upon that in which they have not heard? And that is where you and I come in. This is the, the invitation that the Lord has given to each of us, is that we get to, not only if we are in Christ, right, it has been given to us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. We have this treasure. What are we doing with it?
Are we holding on to it? Are we not freely giving it away to other people? That's what we're called to do. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Guys, we don't have to go to some far off land to take the gospel. We don't have to go to the middle of Southeast Asia to do that. There are lost people there. There are people who have never heard of the gospel there. But there's people in your neighborhood that have never heard the gospel too. There's people at your workplaces. And maybe, maybe that they've not heard the gospel, because I think we live in a pretty, a pretty saturated place of that. We live right in the Bible Belt, right? Everybody has probably heard of church or been to church, but there's a lot of people who have been hurt by the church. By the church, right? <laughs> One of the, there's a quote, Brennan Manning, I think. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge him with their lips but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. (laughs) Church, I want to encourage you today. What is God calling into your heart? Where are those places that are hard that need to be soft? Where are those places that are, are, are shallow that need to go deep? Where are the places where the care is chir- the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth are choking out your fruit? Ask God to come in and shake that. And that's the best and most beautiful part about this is that you can't do any of that on your own. Jesus in John 15 again says, I'm, I'm the vine, but my father is the vine dresser. My father is the gardener. God can come in and he can shape and mold and prune and cultivate and fertilize every single heart in this room. So would you let him do that? Would you let him do that today? Would you respond to what he is working in your heart? And I, and I want to, uh, I'd like to invite Kyle uh, and the band just to come back up. And as we close, I want to do something too like we did last week. Last week we spent some time just to be, to sit in prayer, to sit in silence, and to sit and respond to what God might be teaching us. And, and, and I want to do the same thing today. I want to, I want to challenge us as we, as we are in this season of prayer and fasting, how can we begin to pray for our families? That's what we're praying for this week, I think, is just praying for our families and fasting for our families. How can we pray for our neighbors? Guys, if you want to see your family, your neighbors, your city, your state, your nation, and the world saturated with the gospel of Jesus, start praying and fasting for your family first. Because I promise he is faithful. He who started a good work in you will see it through to completion. So lean into that. Let him be, let him be your source of life. So that fruit will come. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.